0: Plato, Aristotle, Confucius, and the Buddha, all of them preach the virtues of moderation. Shakespeare said, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Barry White had something to say about that too. So the goal of many decisions is balancing the risk against the benefits, finding the middle ground, whether you're buying a product or investing in retirement. UCLA Anderson professor Amy Drollet and others have found a way to measure the preference for moderation. And that is a useful tool, not just for marketers, but also for policymakers and political consultants. It comes at an important moment when wise counsel is increasingly shouted down by extremists in the U S and in other parts of the world. Hello again, I'm Warren Alney, and this is How the World Works, a podcast from UCLA Anderson and Professor Jolay. Welcome aboard.
1: Thanks, Warren. It's, it's wonderful to be here.
0: Well, it's great to have you. And if you will, to begin with, elaborate a bit on this tradition of moderation and how deeply rooted it is in our society.
1: The concept of moderation dates back to our most ancient times, as your introduction mentioned, both in ancient Chinese civilization and ancient Greek civilization. The principle of moderation has been uh, hailed as the solution to the biggest problems that humans face. So exhortations to be moderate are everywhere, both in terms of health and in terms of politics, and especially in terms of consumption behavior.
0: Now, when you talk about consumption behavior, uh, there gets to be an economic interest in figuring out how it is that it works.
1: One of the challenges that any decision maker faces if they are trying to pursue moderation is to be able to identify what the moderate solution is.
0: Are some people more likely to pursue moderation than others?
1: So a major determinant of the individual's preference for moderation is their cultural background. So individuals who are from what we term collectivist cultures uh, tend to espouse moderation as a solution to most problems. So Chinese, Japanese, Korean, um, those are cultures which emphasize balance and harmony and also sampling from both positive and negative events Uh, in their decision-making. Whereas individuals from what we term individualist cultures, such as the United States, United Kingdom, tend to um, be less moderate. And those are cultures which place a heavy emphasis on the self and the independent self.
0: So the United States then is less likely to make decisions on a moderation guideline than others?
1: Yes, on balance, that is the case.
0: So what does that mean, then, in terms of the measurements that uh, you have devised and the way they're deployed uh, by uh, people who want to sell products and by uh, politicians?
1: Well, it certainly suggests that both politicians and also marketers should take people's cultural background into account, and you can control for that. And so, for example, in the United States, we see that whites tend to be far less moderate than Asian Americans. So you can get down to a much more granular level within an individualist culture to identify those individuals who are going to be more moderate.
0: I gather that moderation is important and a guideline uh, in consumer behavior, but there's some things it doesn't work for. One of them is uh, the selection of whether to eat more or less food.
1: Health is kind of an elusive context where there's always suggestions that individuals eat in moderation, drink in moderation, but really the fundamental difficulty in those contexts is defining the moderate option. So when you have a political context, it's far easier, you have a limited number of candidates to identify which of those individuals falls in the middle. With health, if you are pursuing moderation, you look to others in your social set, and so in an absolute sense, you might not be pursuing moderation. It's just relative to those around you. That is one of the reasons that it's problematic.
0: What about alcohol and whether you ought to drink more or less?
1: Yes, I mean alcohol is a wonderful topic to think about because we see you know the rise of things like sober january, alcoholics anonymous. It's always nothing versus all and really there isn't much out there saying let's just train you or teach you to have one drink a day. Now they're inventing mocktails and all of these solutions But all of those solutions are geared towards complete abstinence. And if you've ever tried to curtail your drinking, it's really hard to just say, okay, I'm just going to have one. What we do as a society is really try to ingrain in people, alcohol is bad or alcohol is fine. But there's no teaching of a middle ground and even though if somebody was able to enjoy one or two drinks a week they might have a really great life and special occasions and things that's not the health messages that individuals are getting
0: so there's also habituation and even addiction
1: so if you're able to establish a habit of having a moderate amount of alcohol, that would be probably ideal. But instead, that's really hard for a lot of people to do. So one of the big trends in the US is complete abstinence following the United Kingdom's January sober and approaching things again from a perspective of all or nothing, rather than saying, okay, how can we orient things so that somebody can have just three to four drinks a week? And This is in part because the scientific research is a little unclear about is all alcohol bad or this or that? Is red wine okay? But still, we're just not geared up to say, I would like to just be a very moderate moderate drinker, and I would just like to have one beer a day, and that's it. We just can't seem to find that balance. And again, this is in part because it's not clear to people what the moderate solution is. And so if health professionals could say, this is the moderate option then you might have a better chance of getting people to train themselves to achieve moderation. But instead, what people do is an all or nothing approach. You can't suffer any exception, and if you do suffer an exception, you might as well binge.
0: The producers of alcohol Uh, and the sellers of alcohol are not likely to become your clients.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, there has been a, a very steep decline in, uh, wine sales in the United States over the past few years, even despite the pandemic. And so at some point they might be open to a message of how to get people to drink in moderation because that's better than not drinking at all from their perspective.
0: I think one of the interesting things about this, though, is that it's research that is applicable in many, many ways. You said that uh, politics is one way. Describe what you mean. I understand you've been approached about this by candidates for office.
1: One of the uh, common choices voters face is the decision to vote straight ticket, which is all one party versus split ticket where, for example, you might choose a Democrat for one office and a Republican for another. And there are actually 11 states in the United States that allow the voter to go into the booth and decide to vote straight. Versus split ticket. One of those states is Utah. And so right now, for example, there's a candidate, Evan McMullen, who's an independent and is running against an extremist candidate, Mike Lee, who's the Republican candidate. And so What needs to happen for Mr. McMullen is for individuals to go into the voting booth and vote split tickets, vote for him, and then perhaps vote for the other Republicans on the ballot. And so my research shows which individuals are more inclined to vote split tickets. And so I have been asked to give advice about what kinds of individual voters to pursue and what kinds of messages would appeal to those voters in order to help defeat this extremist candidate.
0: What are you telling them?
1: Um, certainly positioning yourself for voters as the center, as the middle choice, will be appealing to those voters that are predisposed towards moderation. Again, there's you know a distribution. And so if he can tap into individuals who are higher in their preference for moderation and um, explain to them that he is the center choice, that will increase his attraction attractiveness as a candidate.
0: So what it does then is give him uh, something to target.
1: That's right. It gives him something to target in the sense that he has to position himself not as a rebel or reaction against the other extreme, but as someone who chooses to have moderate positions. So for example, on the issue of abortion, McMullen would be wise not to deny all abortions as necessary, but at the same time, he would be wise not to take the opposite position and be fully pro-choice, so to speak. That's an example of an issue where he will want to demonstrate to individuals that he's pursuing a middle path.
0: Does this have an application in terms of government policymaking?
1: It certainly has implications for trying to understand things like the increase in partisanship that has developed, not just in the United States, but all over the world in the last 20, 30 years, and to try to understand how to position policies in such a way as to highlight the benefits of compromise and middleness. So it certainly would help in positioning.
0: So you're taking a different position then with regard to this and you're favoring moderation as opposed to what you refer to as extremism.
1: Yes, so follow-up research that I've done that's tried to look at the characteristics of individuals who are high in their preference for moderation suggests that individuals who are more extreme tend to hold more conspiracy beliefs. They tend to be anti-immigration, pro-isolation, and that can lead to a lot of unrest and further division among societies. And so I agree with Aristotle that a person of moderation is a person of good character. And by teaching moderation, preaching moderation, it really has a salutary effect on individuals and the kinds of decisions they make. Um, So I am an unabashed, Proponent of moderation. Like a great example is Brexit. The United Kingdom's decision to leave the European Union, which was only narrowly supported in polls, has led to major societal and economic unrest. And the two drivers of that initiative were anti-immigration and pro-isolationism. And we can see just in terms of the loss GDP and the loss in interpersonal trust, that policy decision has not worked out at all. Um, and so if you had more moderate views, you would likely uh, see less of these fear of the other and, and these kinds of things that divide us.
0: Thomas Jefferson famously said, we need to have revolutions every once in a while. And there are certainly those who insist that we need to have a certain degree of unrest in order to prevent a sclerotic dominance by um, very few people. How do you respond to that?
1: I mean, I would look at the American political system right now as an example of the hijacking of our political order by a subset of extremists who happen to be anti-immigration and pro-isolation and anti-compromise. I mean, you can, you know, even look at the votes that Congress weighed in on where you have issues that People have widespread agreement about, and yet, because of a few individuals who espouse extremism, we're not able to move forward on basic issues that would be protective to the nation.
0: Are women more likely to seek the moderate way out as opposed to men?
1: I have looked for gender effects just as I've looked for age effects, and thus far I have not found any evidence that gender influences the tendency to seek moderation, which is interesting because I think that the stereotype of women and older adults is that they would tend to be more moderate and and more, more reasonable, and they would be more likely to seek compromise. But that does not appear to be the case.
0: You have laid out a scale that you use, and I'm interested in what the categories are and how you apply them.
1: It's a one to seven scale. And so individuals complete the eight item questions, and then I average those items, and then there's an index, a number. And then that number is useful in predicting a variety of behaviors. So we've talked about how it's able to predict split ticket voting, but it's also able to predict things like the kind of reviews that people will leave on Amazon or Yelp. And also, it's able to predict what kinds of customer reviews those individuals will find useful and follow. So, for example, individuals who are high in their preference for moderation are more likely to give reviews that are a two, a three, a four on a five point scale rather than a one or a five. And at the same time, those individuals are less inclined to rely on other consumers' views that are extreme, a one or a five. So they have a preference for middleness and they tend to give more credence to those reviews that are balanced. I went through online reviews that customers actually gave and looked at the content of those reviews in addition to the star ratings. And you find that individuals with the high preference for moderation tend to give reviews that mention both positive and negative aspects of a good or service. Whereas individuals who score low on my scale tend to give ones or fives and tend to be swayed more by these extreme reviews.
0: So how do you apply that then, or how does a client of yours apply that in the marketplace?
1: Sites such as Amazon make decisions about what reviews they'll post and which reviews will rise to the top. By observing consumers' behavior over time in terms of their selection of products, they can get a good sense of the individual consumer's preference for moderation. And then they can show reviews to those consumers more inclined to believe and to follow. So they actually have data that they can use to kind of reverse engineer the sense to which a consumer tends to prefer more middle-of-the-road options. And then in terms of the reviews that they showcase, they can also select those reviews that they think the consumer will find more useful.
0: Some people might say that you're helping them uh, to manipulate the market.
1: Well, I am a professor of marketing. Um, I don't really look at it as helping people manipulate, but more in terms of helping people understand what consumers are doing. And the reality is that these companies are already showing reviews that favor particular products over others. So one inclination might be that they showcase reviews that are all fives and all greats, and they might mistakenly think that those reviews are going to be really powerful and influential. But in fact, for a large subset of their customers, those reviews might actually be counterproductive for the company.
0: So once again then, if you will, sort of in summary, tell us how you think your research is designed to help avoid the dangers that you see of extremism increasing.
1: The first step is always to document the empirical relationship between people's attitudes, opinions, and then their behaviors. And so one of the unique facets of this personality scale is that it doesn't just predict other attitudes, it actually predicts what people will do in certain contexts. So it predicts which option in a set of products a moderate individual is likely to choose. And by first, establishing what those relationships are and how widespread in terms of context those relationships are, you can then start to say, okay, well, how can we manage to change people's attitudes in hopes of changing their behavior? So for example, making it okay for imperfection, making it okay that something isn't all the best in the world, that getting somewhere is better than getting nowhere. And so by, again, going back to cultural background, there are things that we can learn from other cultures that would help us achieve a better balance and harmony and better intergroup liking by talking about moderation and then helping people identify the moderate option you know people want to pursue moderation but it's hard to know you know is it one drink or two drinks a day or what exactly is the moderate course there are things that can promote the development of a taste for moderation and then the benefit of that you'll see in terms of behavior
0: and you'd like to promote a taste for moderation in politics as well
1: Yes, I think that the hollowing out of the center has not gotten us as far as we could have gotten had both sides had more of an appetite for compromise. And that doesn't just apply to the right, extreme right, it also applies to the extreme left. So the notion that really progressive individuals might not vote at all because they're not getting everything they want is really destructive to democracy.
0: All right. The measurement of moderation, a useful tool for marketers and also for politicians as well, who, of course, are marketers of a different kind. Professor Amy Drillet of UCLA Anderson, thank you so much for being with us. (laughs) Thank you, Warren. I'm Warren Alney. Thanks again for listening to How the World Works.